Hi, and welcome to episode 1.8 of the Borcelli Brothers podcast. I'm Mike Borcelli. And I'm Sean Borcelli. On this episode, we go the full Borcelli. All the way. You get every little bit of us Borcelli Brothers. You get all of me. And all of me. You get all of Nick. And you get all of Jeff Borcelli. Jeff Borcelli, the mysterious Borcelli brother who we have yet to had our podcast. He just hasn't been on yet. We've talked about him. A lot. He's mysterious. Romanesque. Romanesque, Greek-esque. He's a, a chiseled Adonis. Absolutely. Looks glorious when the sun is setting. Looks glorious when the sun is rising. Whoa, Sean. Sorry. Let's talk about what our episode's about today. On this episode, we talk about theoretical future technologies. We sure do. We talk about tethers. We talk about orbits. We talk about radius. We talk about the steps to getting from here to way, way out there. Mm. I believe you have an addendum. Oh, I have an addendum. In regards to orbital speed, I want to clarify 28,800 kilometers an hour. That'll make sense to all of you later. In regards to the length of a tether, I'm talking 35,786 kilometers. That's a long tether. Thanks for that addendum. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for our extension. We get a little bit sexy. And we talk about quantum computing. Oh, God. Quarks. Mm. Enjoy the show. Enjoy. Fury eyes? Take, yeah, I think I know. Just breathe in a little bit. You, you look a little febrile. <laughs> febrile? I say febrile. Febrile? Mm, you say febrile, I say febrile. 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 <laughs> Febrility. Ah, I admire your febrility. <laughs> <laughs> Googling Ability. <laughs> <laughs> you can replace the word uh, febrile with uh, feverish. Yeah. They're their synonyms. A rise in the temperature of the body. Febrility. <laughs> <laughs> the 
more you know. Do, 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 do. No, it's. <laughs> yeah, it's the one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how this episode's going to go, guys. Not feeling it. No? Not feeling it. No, not feeling it? No. 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 How are you feeling, Jeff? I, I don't know. Is this how it's supposed to feel? Yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Usually feels better. Well, he's the downer here. I feel good. I'm usually the upper. Yeah, so usually that, he's usually the upper. But and he's, so far, he's all of our episodes have been great. So coming into it feeling like a downer, Ugh. I'm really worried about this. Yeah, I'm, I'm ill suited to be an upper. Sean's, yeah. Sean's the fluffer. <laughs> <laughs> he really preps the guests usually. Yeah, I I am the just hard case flaccid guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's an oxymoron. <laughs> Hard case, flaccid. I know. Guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if I wanted to avoid it, I would have had to be silent for longer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ooh. You hear that? Yeah. That's a good sound. I think that might have been my positivity coming back. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's back. <laughs> Excellent. So we just start out like with this banter, this witty banter, or this non, non-conversational, non-anything, non-committal, non-committal. <laughs> uh, we'll figure out how to edit it. Then we get into the episode. Um, at one point, we'll probably take a pee break. Mm-hmm. So if you want to, at some point, be like, "Hey, gotta pee. Don't worry, it's okay." You're like, allowed to all... say that out loud. Yeah. Often it's a good um, segue to. Um, a commercial. It's a good segue to peeing. Yeah, yeah. I have to pee. Well, it's perfect. Because <laughs> now all we this can all pee. Perfect timing. With all this cool, refreshing steam whistle. Yeah. yeah. So, this is our podcast. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Borcelli Brothers Podcast. My name is Sean Borcelli, and I'm Mike Borcelli, and, and a special guest. We would like to introduce a good friend of ours. Also, happens to be related by blood. Also happens to be another Borcelli brother. This man is Jeff Borcelli, mm. and of course Nick Borcelli's uh, manning the audio. Hi, Jeff Borcelli. Obviously, uh, you've probably heard of him before on the show. He's our spooky brother. Yeah, we've talked about him before. <laughs> he was harder to get on the show than Bigfoot. He was, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why are you so hard to uh, book for Wednesday nights, there, Jeff? <laughs> well. Wednesday nights are my uh, Dungeons and Dragons night. Yeah, oh, that yeah. tends to take priority. Definitely. It used to be Saturdays, though. Yeah, we we felt a full Saturday was a uh, too much of a commitment. Yeah. <laughs> so once once a week is Wednesday night. How long do you go for? Usually from about uh, six to eleven. Yeah. Five hours. Oh, that's good. That's healthy. That's a healthy amount. Because you used to start at like ten and go until like midnight. Ten. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's too much. It's a lot to be expected of your friends and family. Yeah, we found it to be. Yeah. So. So, we got the full Borcelli on tonight. Full Borcelli. This is the full Borcelli. There are four of us. We are the four Borcelli brothers. There is no fifth. Is this the first time we've all worked on a project together at the same time? Definitely. Uh, we have cleaned the house before together. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> as kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, here you go. I think I would be vacuuming or doing the bathrooms, and actually, 
I seem to recall that actually was just mom, Jeff, and I. Uh, for a while. For a long time. And then I moved out, in which case Mike was upgraded to someone who could clean. Yep. 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 Mostly. Nick, did you ever clean the house? No. Yeah. That's I, what I, yeah, that's what I Interesting. So, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, we're really excited to have you on here. Good, um, good to be here. We wanted to, you know, we actually wanted you on here earlier, but just couldn't quite figure out how to put you in because we, we just know we talk about you a lot and we also intend to have you on uh, quite frequently. So it's good to finally be able to introduce all four Borcelli brothers Yeah, for the podcast. And it's a great one to end off on before our seasonal episode. Um, and then basically we're taking a winter break. I'm glad I made it into your inaugural year. Yeah. Yeah. You are our uh, mid-season finale. <laughs> yeah. Good. That's good. Um, why do we have you on here, Jeff? Did we tell you? Uh, I hear we're discussing uh, theoretical technology. Theoretical technology. Theoretical technology. Mm, theoretically, we're talking about technology. That was actually what the email said. Ah. So what we're actually talking to you about today is sex and health. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, well, technology does come into play. <laughs> Emphasis on the play. If you're yeah. doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or if you're doing it really wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, you're right the first time. Uh, we're talking about uh, theoretical science, theoretical futures in technology. And uh, basically... You're our science brother. Um, we're we're a smart family, uh, most of us, and uh, <laughs> and you happen to be science smart, uh, along with other kinds of smartness. But you, you nerd out a lot about technology and science, quantum yeah. physics, that kind of stuff. I'll do. You know, I'll do. You're, you're a, a new scientist subscriber, um, long time listener, first time caller, uh, kind of guy. Yep. That's me. So that's we thought this would be a perfect episode for you. So we're talking about um, inventions or future goals mankind might have as a society in order to take some big leaps in uh, exploring our world and the universe. Yeah. So where do we want to start? Mike, you want, you want to start off? I can start off. Do you want to start off with uh, basically kind of where we kind of got the idea to... Yeah, uh, totally. So I think... Jeff, I know you weren't quite familiar with this until this evening. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen the Star Trek episode. Yeah, um, and I think, I think uh, a lot of our listeners are probably have seen it on Facebook, and it's been in the news and all of these things. Um, yeah, it went viral there for a bit. There was a lot of nerds exclaiming a lot of things. It definitely did. Um, so there is a star that has been observed by the um, uh, by the Kepler Space Telescope. Uh, a team of astronomers found that its light dipped by about 20% on several occasions due to the orbit of a vast object that would be almost half the star's size. Uh, this is star KIC 8462852. Uh, it's uh, 1.5 times larger than our sun. Uh, and what's, what's weirder about this is that not only is this massive object orbiting this star and dimming its light by that amount, because... That, that's a huge percentage to dip. It's a large object to have to 
yeah, to be hugely large. Stars, I, I, yeah. I, the, an object the size of Jupiter would only dip at like one point something percent. Yeah, like Jupiter is not half the size of a yeah, star. No, not at all. Uh, so, and Jupiter's big, uh, but it's also doing it randomly. Some would even call it a gas giant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was also doing this. Uh, these these dips in the light were happening randomly over the sixteen hundred days that it was observed by the telescope. Yeah, it wasn't like a, a regular orbit kind not of speed. A, not yeah. at all. So. Um, Obviously, uh, they they tried to figure out a number of reasons why this would be happening. But they're still trying to figure out it. They still are. They still yeah. they still are. But I mean, they couldn't really figure out a natural phenomena that would cause this, or at least not one that we are aware. So of. So that's where the nerd sphere blog sphere blew up. Yeah. Uh, so the this is exactly the kind of strange situation that certain. Uh, researchers are looking for when they're looking for extraterrestrial life or extraterrestrial alien technology uh so what a lot of the nerd sphere is is their brains immediately jump to was the idea of a dyson sphere and i know you you know it from the star trek episode a lot of people know it from star trek and the dyson sphere is named after uh freeman dyson uh, and it's a hypothetical megastructure that would completely encompass a star and, and essentially harness its energy. Uh, so, you know, it, it's something that we could easily use to explain these random dips in the light because it's so... It seems like uh, something that could be well, it's, intelligently okay. so created. So a, a Dyson sphere is basically like... It's something that orbits a star that's yes. man-made. Yes. Or not man-made, but technological. Well, not man-made, but uh, in, in made by an intelligent life yeah. form. It's a hypothetical structure. Yeah, it's, it was, it's, it's not made by the cosmos at random. Yeah, he, he the idea was first proposed in his 1960 paper, "Search for Artificial Stellar Artificers Artif- Search for Artificial Stellar Sources of Infrared Radiation." Uh, it's sort of a, the idea of a lot. It's it's supposed to be the logical consequence of an escalating energy need for a civilization. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like the, the idea that as we get going forward in the future, yeah, uh, we keep needing to up our energy requirements, and eventually our planet can't isn't enough to supply it. Yeah, so we need exactly. to look to our star. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so this thing, uh, this theoretical structure, has been proposed in many different ways. Uh, it's been provo- provo- proposed as a sphere. Uh, so that's just like an entirely. In- it's always kind of a sphere in whichever form it is, but there's it's uh, it can be it's been thought of as like a shell before, like entirely mm-hmm. encompassing a star, which is which would have to be massive. Oh, it's well, it's bigger than a star. Yeah, it's huge, to be much bigger than a star. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's also been more like uh, realistically theorized or hypothesized as a a swarm. So like a lot of mm-hmm. mini structures that would surround the outside bunch of bunch of satellites all in various orbit yeah exactly and i mean obviously that's so much like the earth right now does not have the industrial capacity to pull that off we don't we have we have we have a lot of the little steps in the way of getting towards something like that like the solar sail and and just orbital satellites in general we we have that technology but we don't have the technology to relay the energy that we would collect the, to store and relay it in an efficient manner to to just have that a much material to, well, to yeah, build we these don't structures. even have that much material available yeah, on ex- earth ex- to... exactly mm-hmm. 
Not that's, even close. Yeah, it, let alone just building this thing in general. Uh, so this uh, really coincides with another concept called the Kardashev scale. And the Kardashev scale is like, it's three tiers that a society could meet. It's a method of measuring a civilization's level of technological advancement based on the amount of energy a civiliza- civilization is able to utilize. So type one would be a large-scale application of fusion power. So if we got one Dyson sphere, we're type, you know, it's a type one civilization that's, or somebody who can use fusion power on a big scale. So that would be, you know, harnessing the power of a star. Uh, type two would be uh, the same as type one, but applied to uh, multiple planets or multiple, like multiple areas of the solar system or, or, in, mm-hmm. or multiple areas in different <clears throat> solar systems. And type three is like literally doing it on a gal- galactic scale and harnessing the power of like, uh, uh, like the energy released from a supermassive black hole or something like that. So that's that's sort of like these levels, these tiers of civilization, and we're you know we're not even quite at the we haven't even reached one, <laughs> not, not even close. No, not no. even close. Um, it's an ambitious scale. So scale one is like doing it to our our sun, like making one Dyson sphere is a scale one. Well, I think type one is 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 fusion in general. So okay. like so that's harnessing that energy in general. You know, so uh-huh. that's 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 having that overall and one method of that is a dyson sphere harnessing fusion of the sun yeah exactly harnessing that amount of energy making our own fusion right cells yeah so would technically like solar cells count as that we're of type one then if it's harnessing fusion of the sun no because it's large scale it would have to power the planet we'd have to be able to utilize it properly okay like so the idea again so the dyson sphere is basically think of it as a bunch of satellites trained at the sun that are gathering the energy from the sun and then beaming it to us exactly through some kind of transfer method uh, on it on a massive scale yeah okay and then so that that would be that was that's one that's stage one uh yes that's scale? Sta- that's okay. stage one okay so stage two mm-hmm. is doing that on so it's like basically like uh this is like go like we use this technology all the time this is this wasn't necessarily that big of an operation we can set one up again here sure. we go so whether it's dyson now sphere all of our or, planets. or fusion on other planets okay other stars so we've got uh, several planets where like the first mode of operation here is like well let's get that fusion uh energy center going and yeah. we're good can you send it with ups yeah basically <laughs> two. yeah yeah <laughs> basically yeah you can you can go on amazon.ca now and it's like it's it's available for regular use yeah yeah hit that uh what's that, the refresh button or whatever that you get for <laughs> amazon to buy new laundry detergent yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly um yeah so it's a i don't know it's a it's a pretty neat uh theoretical uh and then okay so third level oh sure yeah is where we're going so big so that big we're, we're so harnessing big that you're essentially uh, you've you've conquered your galaxy. You've taken on the power of that entire structure itself. So you're you 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 have every feasible star you can within the galaxy hooked up to one of these things, or or even the core of your galaxy hooked up to one of these things. 
or you can you can harness because it would mm. at the center of a galaxy a supermassive black hole so what are you harnessing the energy of mm-hmm. the supermassive mm-hmm. black hole your so galaxy it's on a yeah. galactic level yeah okay wow if that is even possible <laughs> if it were ever possible so we've started how have we not uh found that yet in a galaxy like some kind of galactic interference because that's well that's the first things we saw yeah were galaxies i mean they're i don't know wow (laughs) i mean there could be some stage twos out there i just know i would expect to see stage three (laughs) could be some stage twos right yeah like to see from afar. Well, if we were if we were going to see, we'd see stage stage three. You'd think, but I I would think if if a if a civilization got to the point where there's stage three, then they go back to what we were talking about on Jesse's episode, and they're all living in holodecks and they don't care about stage three. Like, <laughs> yeah, I agree about that. <laughs> They've moved on to yeah, computer when can, simulation. When can you just ascend? Already yeah, exactly. Not I have a lot of disagreements anymore. with the idea that this scale could ever function, but it is it was held as a as a scale for a long time. It was created in 1964. Okay. Um, so I guess what we're dealing with here is stage one then. Stage one. How to get to a Dyson sphere. How the hell? How to get to fusion. How to how, get to fusion. How to, how to get to any of that. Who has any thoughts on fusion? Anybody we know? Jeff, do you have any thoughts on fusion? Uh, well, well, I might have uh, thought a little about fusion power. Okay. Ooh. Not not Dyson spheres. Nothing grand and spectacular like that. But uh, just creating our own fusion here on Earth. Just... Uh, fusion power plants mm-hmm. okay which i actually think would be extremely grand and spectacular for the listeners <laughs> yeah. at home for the listeners at home what kind of power plants do we have right now oh well we've got coal power plants we've got uh no on the nuclear uh, level we've got fission 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 is what we've got so that's harnessing the splitting of yeah, atoms that is taking large atoms like uranium mm-hmm. and splitting them into smaller atoms right and that releases energy and creates radioactive byproducts that last for 10,000 years or so. Yeah. That and are bad. That are bad. We don't like them. <laughs> we don't know how to even store them. Our engineering is not up to the point where we can store them safely for 10,000 years. Yeah. Awesome. And there was that uh, project. It was this to make the sign yeah, that anybody people, could read? Yeah, people were wondering even how to make signs to warn people of danger that would be readable 10,000 years from now. It's almost impossible. Oh, that's a that's it was a really interesting, really really neat art project kind of. Phil <laughs> like, be like, no, do not open yeah, danger. This. But you know, you Get just don't know what you you like, don't know what to do because you could use a skull and crossbones, but ten thousand years from now, like that could be a peace sign. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were thinking of making like really foreboding pillars or like, something. Yeah. Oh, here's that swingers club I was telling you about, honey. Let's check it out. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh my god, my face is melting. <laughs> 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 So, yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, fusion power doesn't really have those problems. Uh, so what is fusion what's power? What's fusion power? So fusion power is, uh, obviously, it's the power that the sun uses. Mm-hmm. It's uh, taking smaller atoms and smashing them together to make bigger atoms. Ooh. So the sun smashes together hydrogen mm-hmm. to create helium, and then helium. it smashes helium to create whatever. <laughs> and <laughs> on it goes. Helium. Creating... Lithium? I don't know. Uh <laughs> And it goes on and up up to iron, I believe. That's what right. the sun's capable of making. Um, anyway, we would try to use hydrogen mm-hmm. and uh, smash it together, make helium. Mm-hmm. So uh, the byproduct of this would be helium. 
which is non-toxic, harmless. We're also actually, non-renewable on our planet. Yeah, yeah so we're running out of it. We're product. just using it all in balloons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's actually now being referred to as like a much-needed uh, gas for for so well, many different technologies. To make, oh, any, yeah. to make anything and... cool, like <laughs> yeah. uh, oh. MRIs, you know, yeah. they've used liquid helium, yeah. uh, the Hadron Collider. Anything that needs to be super cooled. Yeah. Um, our the auto industry is terrible for the waste of helium. Like we've actually, I've had sales managers tell me to order helium and offer whatever we'd offer to a hospital to buy it. I actually was told by my o- my owner to you're offer a hospital fired. for helium. Are you going to get fired? <laughs> Sounds like you're gonna get fired for that comment. Oh no, that's fine. I don't work at that dealership anymore. Yeah, okay. I don't. Okay. Oh, now they know you work at a dealership. <laughs> Narrowing it down. Okay, anyways. Foreign or domestic? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> so, uh, you know, when you guys told me about the topic, I immediately just thought about fusion power. It's one of my favorite future texts mm-hmm. yeah. uh, to think about. Uh, I love texts that just look to end scarcity. Yeah. So, so I think the theme of, of this, like with this kind of tech, is that this is like stuff that, we know we can do because it's a process that exists and we just want to figure out how to harness it. So yeah. we have to figure out the stages to get there. Well, we have working fusion power yeah, uh, plants, I guess, experimental plants, uh, but we've never had one that creates more energy than we put in to make oh, it work. Right. So basically the idea of a perpetual motion machine that um, needs someone for always cranking it. someone always eating a sandwich to crank that perpetual motion machine yeah it's like uh you need like two guys to crank the machine and it does the work of one guy exactly yeah Yeah. so so they they've maybe made it work so they don't they need it to basically sustain itself so once you get it energized enough or something that it just keeps doing the fusion right yeah yeah the uh like the sun yeah that's one of the things that's a they're looking for is a sustainable reaction that feeds enough energy back in to keep the mm-hmm. heat that necessary to make it work. So now is one of the, I don't know this very much is one of the problems because when you talk about a star, it's massive. So there's just so much material there that it's just constantly fueling itself. And like, can we, are we trying to do it on a small scale? And that's, what's hard. Well, yeah, the, that's actually what fuels the sun is it's ma- where that's what creates the heat. Is the yeah. sun's mass? It's, oh. it's gravity pushing right. in mm-hmm. creates pressure, which creates heat, mm-hmm. and that gives the energy necessary at the core to achieve fusion. We have to use like lasers or superheated into a plasma mm-hmm. or something, mm-hmm. and uh, that takes a lot of energy, obviously. Yeah, so, that uh, makes sense. So, how do how are we doing that? Or how? Theoretically, can we make this possible? Well, the basic mechanism is fairly simple. You, just, you uh, what you need to do is you get two atoms close enough together mm-hmm. that the strong nuclear force, is broke. the attractive strong nuclear force, actually takes a hold. Okay. Because it only works over very short distances, yeah. atomic distances. Yeah. And uh, so you need a point where it strong nuclear force overcomes the repulsion Repulse, of the electric yeah. electrostatic force. You know, the regular electric charge we're okay. used to. Um, so what you do is you heat it up to the point where the electrons shoot off the atom and you just have a naked, naked nuclei. And then there, these naked nuclei are shooting around in this hot plasma that you've created. Mm -hmm. 
and they will hit each other and get you know obviously they're colliding they're getting very close and they if the ener- there's enough energy in the system they will merge and become a new yeah. element yeah become they'll add their atomic mass to each other and become whatever element that creates so two hydrogens make a helium hmm. Hmm. Yeah. so now now we're talking right. about actually like doing like a a man-sized fusion reactor that doesn't take that much energy to do that makes its own energy how can we do that um what are, what are their theories well i think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you talk about the sustained reaction yeah i think you have an initial investment of energy uh-huh. and then that energy keeps it going right like, so well, like some kind of bay explosion or something like a nuclear fission explosion to start a nuclear fusion reaction? Yeah, the first ever uh, actual man-made fusion reaction was a bomb. Oh, oh okay. okay. It, was, uh, it was a bomb tested uh, in the 50s? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I forget the name. But uh, it uh, utilized a fusion reaction to fully burn the fuel of the bomb and uh, ended up being many times more powerful than previous nuclear bombs. Hmm. A fission bomb. A fusion bomb. A fusion bomb. Yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> if that's too hard to do, is it easier to do a Dyson sphere where you just go to the sun and just take its Assuming energy? Assuming you could industrially create this. Well, <laughs> what's easier? It's that industrial creation that is the hard part. Uh, but theoretically, is it more possible than the fusion at the moment? Is the fusion looking like it can be done? The fu- no, I think the fusion will happen first. You uh, think so? Yeah, I think some estimates that it could happen by 2050. Ooh. Oh, um, really? If this Excellent. new German Stellarator uh, proves to be something special, then uh, I think we'll see. So you said ex- that the Stellarator was a dark horse. What do you mean by that? Yeah. What uh, makes it a dark horse? Well, the most like well-developed, the most accepted technology is called the Tokamak reactors, mm-hmm. and there's like 512 of them in the world right now working away 512 yeah they're doing fusion yeah okay wow. I, I don't know if anyone uses them for real power but they're experimenting away on being fusion reactors and uh they they t- use a magnetic coil and they, okay. they have a superheated plasma contained magnetically in the coil obviously not many materials can hold a superheated mm-hmm. plasma but so they're usually suspended magnetically in the middle yeah okay yeah. So they use magnetic coils, and they need helium to super super cool those magnetic coils. So there's another use for helium. So they put the helium in. Do they get any helium out? Yeah, heli- helium is the natural byproduct of fusion. Right. Ooh. Balloons uh, for everyone. Yeah, because the the current favorite fuel is uh, deuterium, which is a isotope of hydrogen. Right. Mm-hmm. I've heard of this. Uh-huh. There are some places experimenting with just using uh, naked protons and boron but i don't think they've made it that far sounds a little boronic to me (laughs) (laughs) okay so nuclear fusion that's cool it sounds like we need nuclear fusion both to get nuclear fusion from the sun like basically like if we want to get all our our spaceships in order and uh like the idea would be to come up with a fusion cell or something to power a spaceship or, or some kind of solar Yeah, well, I, I, I don't think we're going to get anywhere near a Dyson sphere on, on, on fossil fuels. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think uh, fusion. We need fusion power just to continue our civilization. I think. Yeah. Because I guess we're gonna run out of everything. Yeah. Out <laughs> so of the pretty quick. The wind and solar panels aren't gonna aren't gonna cut it. Or they're uh, not, or they're not going to be enough for our our grandiose ideas. Well, one of the problems with those uh, renewable energies, like wind power and solar power, is uh, there are optimal spots on the planet that are good for them, mm-hmm. and then there are suboptimal spots. And eventually, you just run out of the optimal spots, and there's a sort of diseconomy of scale. So also, they, so they we don't fare the storage yet. Either. So you can't you can't create enough energy in those optimal spots to power both the optimal spots plus the spots that aren't optimal. Well, it's just the more we try to uh, invest in them, the more expensive, the less you get for your investment. Right. Yeah. Uh, what's cool about fusion power is that uh, you'd probably run it off uh, ocean water. Ocean water is like there's like one in one thousand parts uh, deuterium. Oh. Just in the hydrogen in the water. So you oh, just, yeah. just just have like an ocean ocean uh, plant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it, what, what's are, are there bad byproducts to it? Because you're not taking a uh, a radioactive compound like uranium or plutonium or neutronium. Yeah, well, it operates at such high energy that it will create some radioactive material. And okay. actually, actually, what's created is the materials that the plant is made of itself. Just the structures around it will become radiated. Okay. Same as in a fission plant. Okay. Mm. But uh, this radiation only lasts like 50 years or so. Mm. So it's more manageable. We don't need special... Than 10,000. <laughs> yeah, we don't need special anthropology, <laughs> yeah. like anthropologist-directed signs yeah. to figure out... How, how yeah. to warn uh, <laughs> people in 10,000 years. Future okay. humanoids. So it sounds yeah. pretty good. Sounds pretty good to me, this nuclear fusion. Yeah, it's uh, it's the holy grail of energy, I think. Hence why like we would want to do it on even a bigger scale and and possibly power our whole solar system uh by the sun. I can't think of a better energy source to use. It's already the energy, already energy source there. that we're really using, right? Yep. We're using fusion on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's concerns about blocking too much sunlight. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess so. If we like plants. Oh yeah. Well, that's why I like the, that's why I like the idea of well, like I, this uh, mesh, you well, know, like a a swarm or the whatever. Swarm. I like the Dyson ring, a ring that is just you know, it's just a it's just a halo around a star. You know, you could pretty easily, I mean, you could you could have it orbiting in a way that it would never be blocking your your light if it's a ring. You could technically have it do that. So like, yeah, you could you could time it. You could. Earth. It's yeah. really easy to go uh, perpendicular to Earth's orbit. For sure, yeah, around the sun, mm. because almost all the planets except for Pluto have a. They're, we're pretty much in, in a row. Like we're pretty plain, planar, aren't we? Uh, in a lot of ways, like we're not that far off each other. Yeah, I don't think so. Mm. I think uh, I think so, a natural product of solar system formation makes that. Inevitable. Makes that yeah, it makes <laughs> yeah. that. <laughs> those wild makes that those wild cards happen. get eliminated, yeah. <laughs> right? Pretty quick. Okay. Awesome. So what else do we need? So what do you need? So, okay. so we got to, obviously that's, that, that's a power source and we got a Dyson sphere. Right. But where are we at now? Well, I mean, how are we going to, the biggest problem with the Dyson sphere is the industrial aspect of it mm-hmm. and the collecting of those materials. And, and we don't have a lot of methods. And to talking about using natural resources and like natural gases. Exactly. And stuff like that to fossil fuels basically yeah. to uh to get to that point yeah so rockets 
like getting stuff like doing when you're talking about actually getting stuff into space like payloads are extraordinarily expensive yeah it's most like, most of the cost is it's yeah it's twenty five thousand dollars a kilogram Oof. is the Oof. estimate and a kilogram is like this there it's like that book of it's questions. got my book it's, it's my this, book of questions it's this steam a whistle kilo. beer <laughs> so so obviously that's like not necessarily sustainable and it's also using like fuels that are i mean we've been using largely the same rocket fuel kind of formulas since the 50s right so and we've only been able to take small amounts up at any time there's only like i mean you can make bigger rockets but it's more so that it becomes a bunch of littler rockets with smaller loads that keep going out like even to make our space station took years and rel- relatively speaking, it's kind of a still a skeleton of what uh, possibly we could do. Like we, we're doing it with the idea of the less material, the be- better, right? So another way of getting things up would be uh, a space elevator. You guys have heard the spa- of the space yes, elevator. Yes. One of my fondest dreams. Yeah. Space elevator is great idea. Came out 1895, uh, this this Russian scientist, I think his name was uh, uh, Tsiolkovsky, I think, or, or Czech, it's not Tchaikovsky, it's Tsiolkovsky. Tsiolkovsky. <laughs> he was and, a smart guy. And he, he basically, this was like 1895, and he's like, he, he saw the Eiffel Tower and said, can you imagine if that tower went all the way up into space? We could easily get into space by building a giant tower. Mm-hmm. And now the problem with that is like there's there's no material that we've found anyways that could like in order to make a tower that tall you have to think of all the material underneath being compressed earth's gravity you know it's a, it's a giant compressive structure so like right a, a, a eiffel tower that reaches to whatever sixty thousand kilometers above earth's surface mm-hmm. uh would have all that weight pushing down on it so the other option that's come out is having a, a tensile structure. So it's basically, it's hanging. So you have something that's already up there okay. that is in Earth's orbit that has like a ribbon coming down, a lightweight, relatively speaking, lightweight, uh, hanging down from it. So it almost almost like it's got its own orbit going on and then it's, a, it's, it's high enough up that can withstand its weight and any payload that uh, the gravity of Earth is pulling down so it's again it has to be like super high up mm-hmm. in in earth's orbit and the ribbon structure itself has to be lightweight enough to make it uh basically a good idea for payloads right because that becomes its own payload right the tether that is anchoring itself to the earth right so that payload needs to be uh lightweight enough in order to bring uh large large objects basically like an elevator mm-hmm. whether it be an elevator car or some kind of platform or some kind of structure to like hoist itself up mm-hmm. so right now we don't have any any material really that does it that because the tensile strength over that kind of distance is extraordinary and they've been they've been theorizing this uh since 1895 mm-hmm. in the 60s it became a little bit more popular it was kind of a pop sci-fi kind of idea uh, Arthur C. Clarke wrote about it in a couple books. Um, his idea was, I think, was uh, on to- starting on top of a mountain peak uh, somewhere in Africa, 
and along the equator, basically, mm-hmm. uh, and then having this tower that goes up from there. Right. Um, nowadays, now we're looking at like no matter what, it has to be on the equator because that's you know that's obviously the center of Earth's orbit. Like right. It's, our, it's the biggest, largest part of our orbit. So the uh, the structures that are coming up now that they're looking at are like carbon nanotubes, are a new thing. Um, like in two thousand. Not even that long ago, 15 years ago, carbon nanotubes were discovered, carbon chains, to being ex- incredibly strong. Um, but the problem is, is getting any length out of it, right? Like weaving a carbon nanotube chain to that length. It's unprecedented. Okay, so with the idea of like getting rid of the idea of like a compressed structure or a tower, you deal with something that would be already in orbit that uh, is got its own orbital speed and orbital power to keep it aloft. Okay. And also uh, basically lower a hook. Lower oh, like lower a, a tether down to the ground. Just putting a ladder out? Kind of, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like a ladder out a window? So you, you lower like a ribbon down and hook it to a, a platform uh, somewhere on the equator of Earth. Okay. And then upon that rope, you know, you, you go up and down with different payloads. Uh, of, on an elevator kind of structure or a car, a, a, a platform or some kind of structure. Right. Okay. So taking away, like, this is, is more feasible than using the idea of a giant tower. Because a giant tower, you're dealing with both the uh, force of the earth pulling everything towards itself because it has to be ultra comp- big, ultra strong in order to, like, handles like holding itself up but then it also has to deal with the speed of the earth's rotation right so all these forces together like physically it's not efficient enough we might as well just send up rockets right like if we were actually to build a structure that could get to that size build a big pyramid on the side of the earth yeah it it would (laughs) literally like it would it would change earth's rotation you know what i mean yeah yeah, it would be such a massive thing yeah i didn't think about it (laughs) So the idea of actually just having a much, a much, much smaller object in orbit yeah. that is just suspending a rope is way more feasible. Because that, I mean, like, obviously in the 1800s, they couldn't even fathom that because they couldn't get there in the first place. But yeah. for us now, we can... No, we no, can... no. 1895, uh, they were still thinking about that, actually. It's what? actually, uh, looking into it, it's amazing. And they were incredibly frustrated because they couldn't get there in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much it. Like... But like so, uh, what I'm wondering—they under, like, understood orbit, but they yeah. didn't understand how to get to orbit. So if you had a structure in space that was like dropping its rope, and I mean, obviously, dropping is a is mm-hmm. a strange. So it would, you'd have to guide this rope back to some place on Earth where mm-hmm. it would connect. But this structure is this like a how big would it have to be? Would it be like a satellite? Would it have to have thrusters on it all the time? Would it like? Uh, it or would it, or would it, the it rope? Would, it wouldn't have thrusters because the rope couldn't be tense. Or how how would you make it? Well, would the centrifugal force of the Earth spinning like keep the rope taut? Yeah, see, that's what I'm wondering. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. the The orbit of the object itself, that let's say your your top your top peak, sits there. It's already in orbit. It's using its own momentum and its own weight to keep it in orbit. So it's at that you know that miracle point where so many of our, like where our moon's at. Right, where Earth's gravity it, it constantly pulls it in as it also pushes it out, so it stays there. Adding more weight to it means it needs to go a little bit farther out. Just that's 
them's the rules. So you have a platform up there. It could be the size of, let's say, our space station. Okay. Okay. And it just needs to be far enough away from Earth's pole that it's maintaining its uh, orbit while also able to withstand the pull down from whatever it's suspending towards Earth. So that obviously that needs to be really lightweight, okay. whatever that is, because obviously the closer you get to Earth, the stronger the, the pull is, right? And the, the more that thing will weigh. Okay. Not mass, but weigh, like in, in compared to our gravity. So we got to come up with some kind of rope or cable that can do this. And also not snap, because there's tensile strength. I mean, it's pulling all the time. Right. So if we're, if we're looking to send up like truckloads full of payload up, we need something that can pull that up right now and then also withstand an entire planet's force of gravity and uh, withstand the speed that Earth is rotating, whatever that is. Like, was it 42,000 kilometers an hour or something like that? Something like that. Something like that. 16,000 miles an hour, was that it? I don't remember. I don't, I don't even know. know. Uh, can you Borcelli this for us, Nick? What is uh, Earth's rotating speed? Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. So, so. and again, the rotation is different uh, on ground level compared to what that orbiting structure is. I think in order to maintain like orbit orbital speed, you got to be around 42,000 kilometers an hour because obviously thing, things get faster. Right. Like if you're maintaining your location okay, uh, in comparison to that tether, Mm-hmm. Like the the ground location, it needs to stay above it at all times, okay. relatively, right? Yeah, because yeah. otherwise, I mean, obviously, then you have a yo-yo effect, where the Earth is <laughs> yeah, rotating, yeah. and also it's like, <laughs> foof, 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 <laughs> and and that satellite comes down really fast. According to NASA, it is one thousand six hundred and seventy kilometers per hour. That's what Earth rotates at. Yes. Okay, so orbital speed is much faster than that. Mm-hmm. Um, getting up there, so. Basically, when, when you have a payload going up, let's say you have a, a lot, let's say you have 25,000 kilograms going up. Right. Uh, the speed of the aircraft or the, the spacecraft will compensate by actually pushing forward ahead. It'll go a little bit faster than Earth's orbit and it'll basically go in a forward direction because that object, that weight, the moment it gets a little bit farther away, farther away, farther away, will force that space object using is because of the Coriolis effect to slow down. And what you want to do basically is get that payload to eventually straighten that oh, tether out again. Oh, I see what you're saying. Right? Yeah, so, yeah. so it pushes forward and when, and it, you do the opposite when it's coming back. So when, if you're, you're sending your load down, you have basically, you, 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 you get that thing to slow down a little bit up in the air and then you send it down because, and just like, uh, like a figure skater when they pull their limbs in right uh when they're spinning okay and all of a sudden they just start whipping around really fast that that's exactly the same thing so the 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 weight comes down comes closer to the center of rotation and then will cause things to speed up again oh he's doing some really for those of you at home he's doing some really great hand gestures (laughs) i actually find this stuff fascinating it's so cool I, I forgot I was on this podcast. I was just <laughs> you were really engrossed, yeah. yeah. Uh, I have a quick question. Sure. So the moon is in geosynchronous orbit, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, if we're putting, you said putting the space elevator into the same orbit as the moon. No, no, no. 
Oh, okay. no, it wouldn't be the same order as we're not. We're not to trying go, to tether to the moon. Yeah, it has to go that but step what if higher, we did? so it's not. <laughs> so it's moving with the Earth and the not instead ultimate. of not around the Earth. Yeah, so, basically, of course, we're trying. We're trying to get to that point where the payload is able to easily be removed or take off. Mm-hmm. So the payload could be a shuttle mm-hmm. full of stuff that flies further out, where we don't have to. Like basically, we're not breaking all of the having to. F- break off the force of gravity to get off the planet. Yeah. Which we spend so much doing. Like half of our payload is spent in the fuel itself. Well, my my question is like well, my concern on this is what's stopping the top of what we're having our tether to from just rotating too far around the earth and therefore snapping the line. Well, the object itself would have its own thrusters that would keep it engage in oh, okay. its own sensors it's it's not just like left up to its own device it's mm-hmm. really easy to refuel it because you just elevator up the fuel yeah <laughs> and it could, it like would it. most likely be solar powered or uh, the other idea is like okay so if you have this cable and i'll tell you ideas about the cable itself but for now if you have an object ascending this cable up there it still needs to be powered right so it's still f- fighting earth's gravity so what's the difference between that and, and a rocket? It's not like it's going to be a, a rocket-powered elevator, right? So a lot of ideas that are coming with it is like maybe somewhere in the tether that there could be energy transference to the thing, and maybe it just rolls itself up. And you got to think think about it this way, too. The The payload's not going up in, into space at the same speed as a rocket. Mm-hmm. The payload goes up uh, at like 200 kilometers an hour. Sure. So it, it'll take uh, five to eight days to actually get to that orbit mm-hmm. like it's it's a long ways to go um at those speeds you can use electric engines and use other fuel sources like you're not trying to just make sure that you have enough velocity that you can you can you know fight the force of gravity well yeah can we even theoretically use like an ion propulsion on it maybe i think ion propulsion works better in space yeah, yeah it's it's that's... something you can do in space this would be something that actually uh the technology your cell phone has. Mm. The the uh, the new cell phones these days have wireless charging capabilities. Um, and this is what's called like uh, like I think low field or close field technology where like whatever pad or something you set your phone down on right. has a little field that interacts with the field of the phone. Together, the energy is transferred. For something like this, they would do something that would be would be like a mid field uh, energy transfer a long distance energy transfer, which they would probably use either a microwave signal or laser beams. So the laser basically is sent, it's got its own energy with it, and then is received by the object and converted back into electrical power that can power the thing up. So with the space elevator, to, it seems like they've the, they've done the, the, with this rope concept mm-hmm. at least, they've done the math you know, I mean, it's it's quite. Oh, they've done all the it's, math. It's, it's actually it's quite feasible. It's amazing. The, the, the only thing we don't know is the is a material strong enough to make that rope mm-hmm. to make that tether. Yeah, because obviously, I, think, I mean, they're actually snap, making right? they're making a lot of breakthroughs on right now. I think. Yeah, there was that uh, Google committee that was set up just to look at uh, possibility of a space elevator, and they basically said, uh, "We'll take this up later when there's a material that can handle it." Oh, okay, yeah. So there was a company actually started. Um, in 2012 uh that w- actually started to they basically started up a factory to make um a material called called carbon nanotubes 
and their end game is to be the manufacturer of carbon nanotubes carbon nanotube structures to create an, a space elevator they've started out in like low like in just other technology because it's it's obviously a technology that can be used everywhere and carbon nanotubes are basically like people taking carbon carbon chains and carbon chains are incredibly strong and and figure out how to uh weave them if if you will into structures that we can yeah. use so i mean the idea of carbon fiber things you know uh, diamond is basically like com- incredibly compressed carbon like mm-hmm. carbon is like the the go-to when it comes to uh material choices but it's to create something that's like graphite in your pencil yeah it is like slivers of graphite are actually like it's an incredibly strong material like graph graphene is something that we're using a lot now to make different kinds of fiber meshes uh different kinds of cabling um but it's always infused with something else right and right now the idea is to try and figure out how to make it like so carbon nanotubes are like a very basic structure we just need to make make figure out how to make it long enough right without it snapping or being brittle so so right now we, we can do carbon nanotubes up to a couple meters long like like uh, these structures but beyond that they they lose they lose something like they lose a flexibility right. and they become brittle so we need some kind of technology to do it right now we're not there so let's say theoretically we get there mm-hmm. we get our we get our rope we get our tether we get our space elevator what um what are the benefits what's a benefit of this space elevator like what what what, what does it tell do? you, other than like i'll tell fuel, you i'll tell you payloads. the biggest biggest benefit if you can come up with a material that is light enough to to hold a giant payload and bring yeah. it up into space yeah of thousands of kilograms that's the only thing that makes it worthwhile and possibly multiple payloads going up all at once right so you could have one going up then another going up like right behind it uh the difference in savings would go from twenty five thousand dollars a kilogram to two hundred dollars a kilogram oof and that could also mean we could like build even cities in in our orbit (laughs) well it would mean it would mean i i would i would think that this would mean We'd have a much nicer space station. Yeah, we could build. We could, <laughs> yeah, we could yeah. really build the mega well, structures be, in space more yeah. easily. It would really open up the solar system to us. Yeah, um, I mean, we could start having more missions more often. Yeah, getting to planets we've never got to before. Getting people up there. Getting faster. supplies to those planets. Being able to yeah, dude, even to be able to let your populace digest the price tag of getting and doing anything space worthy. Because basically, get them we, excited we, we, about we went it from again. the fifties and sixties. With everyone excited and being like, "Well, yeah, let's get to the moon. We can get to the moon. Yeah. That's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> let's go to the moon. Fuck, what? I want to go to the moon. <laughs> I want to see the moon. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And now it's like, well, we've been to the moon. It's like, how much does it cost to get another planet? Oh, oh boy. I don't know. <laughs> how long is it going to take you to get there? Maybe Mars. It might be into Mars. Everyone was thinking we'd be there by 2010, back in the 90s, and yep. <laughs> now it's like, oh no, 2030, Mars 2030. I'm like, God, I'll be 40. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm no longer young enough to be an astronaut. I, I, the thrill is gone. <laughs> Do they announce a Europa mission? Mm. Uh, they're, de- they're, they're developing the tech for Europa. Was they're I dreaming? No. 
They're developing the uh, they're they're developing the drone for Europe, but they need. To, I don't think people are going to Europe. But no, they no. want they no, want no, a, no. they want a drilling <laughs> robot to go to Europe. Yeah, yeah they want a, so a highly they are interactive design, robot. Yeah, they're designing that. That is happening. Mm. So, going from twenty five thousand dollars a kilo to two hundred to five hundred dollars a kilo is much easier to stomach. I mean, like price tag wise, it's. I mean, obviously, it would cost a lot to make the elevator, but not comparatively so to how much our space program has been has spent already right sending stuff up like every company you know how much it costs like google or any of these companies just to send their satellites up and most of the time they all share satellites because they're like i can't really afford another one can (laughs) we share one and then they're even looking at trying to make their satellites as small as possible and as lightweight as possible because they can't afford to get it up into space right so this, I mean, it would change everything. And the other way to look at it too, um, when you're looking at, for the space elevator technology, you look at other bodies of, of, in the solar system, like asteroids or even the moon, mm-hmm. that, uh, I mean, I don't know if it's still going on, but Bush was talking about, let's get back to the moon again. <laughs> Remember when he was like, I'm excited. He saw, he saw a, a film or something or a documentary. He was like, I'm excited again about space. Let's get to the moon again. Let's build a, a base on the moon. And all the NASA was like, fuck. We're done with the moon. There's not, we don't think there's, it's worth it. Can we look at Mars, please? I was, I was actually, I was listening to some interesting theories about the moon because um, uh, they think there might be a few of those pockets those little bubbles from when the moon was formed that are kind of underground pockets and you could technically fit like a full city within that pocket and it would really protect the people if you were to build a base there of any kind any sort of off-world base there that would be the place to do it because it would protect everybody from the radiation and all of that all of that garbage that you get in space Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you would have that moon moon shield i uh i i kind of think that like we looked we've only taken like a lick of the moon. Oh yeah, you know I mean? we just, <laughs> yeah. little little tip of the tongue. We yeah. literally the put moon. a flag in it. <laughs> we swung a golf club. On you. Yeah, pop. We would uh, there, burn some UEs. There, there, there's a lot more in that moon than meets the eye. I, yeah. I guarantee you. But and probably the only the best way to do it would be to get there and spend a long amount of time there. Yeah. So a space base isn't isn't too far fetched. And also if you're looking it's at great as, training as launch for further point. missions. Like if you want to if you want to launch things from there, that's like the ultimate liftoff point because it takes not much energy to get off it. Exactly. But you need to get fuel there. Space elevator. Space elevator. <laughs> but the other way to use a space elevator is to onto these low gravity objects. So we could today make a space elevator in orbit of the moon. Right. That could land payloads onto the moon. Right. That is something that we can do with our material choices. So the stuff you that could costs... Make, you could make carbon steel cables that could do it. Right. And you could have it as a permanent thing and always bring payloads down because Moon's gravity is so low. Asteroids' gravities would be so low yeah. that you just find that, you know, that niche spot and then start dropping it down. So to figure it out, like, the thing, thing is, we have to get all this stuff up into space and to the moon in order to build the elevator... So how do, so we kind of really have to figure out the Earth's elevator first, <laughs> yeah. and then all the other elevators are easy, right? Like, oh, we got a, we're gonna send an elevator out to you at that asteroid. It's like, okay, great, it'll be there in a week. <laughs> like it's yeah. like, that's just to get it up there, and it's like, Phew, okay, right, you're on your asteroid. 
Your elevator's coming. I was like, great. Now we can really get some shit done. And then it comes out, unfolds, <laughs> cable goes down, and there you go. Dropping all your payloads. There's no landing. There's no trying to figure out, you know, whether or not the surface is stable enough. It's like you got a permanent pad launched, like a secure position, and it's down. Payloads go up and down. Right. Astronauts up and down. Hmm. Miners up and down. That's what we need. Space miners. I mean, they've got those companies now. Oh man, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be that's gonna be the new up north. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't come call- back to spend all my space miner money. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, those fucking space miners coming into my town. Yeah. Man, with the bars closed, just space miners everywhere. <laughs> no miners. <laughs> well, it'll be somewhere on the equator, so we're definitely safe here. So it'll be somewhere uh, like in Sao Paulo or something yeah, like yeah. that. <laughs> Old grizzled helium-3 prospectors. <laughs> yeah. I made my fortune on the helium-3. I made my fortune on the helium-3. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> certainly won't get a Dyson Sphere without a lot of space mining. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and a lot yeah. of tragedies. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of tragedies. <laughs> yes. It's going to be the Hoover Dam all over again. Yeah. <laughs> so uh. in 2012, uh, Japanese company looking at the space elevator ideas, like with basically projecting how like the nanotube stuff would go um, with like their own current technology projected that they could have it up and running in 38 years so that would be uh 2050 right right when we get fusion you know what great both those things would be awesome (laughs) that would be good timing that would be a good synchronicity of timing because both those things together like sky's the limit yeah or like uh okay so wait could fusion be used to help get us off the planet uh I don't. I don't know. Uh, Could it power? Yeah, I don't know. I don't like know. Have I guess an onboard fusion reactor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. Not, I'm not sure. Like theoretically, <laughs> it'd be funny if they were working on their space elevator and people were like pew pew, <laughs> flying past them like because a, they figured out fusion at the same time. When it comes time. to the energy like, capture, <laughs> fusion. Could, if we get fusion cells small enough, could it power my phone? <laughs> could I get a uh, solar powered phone? They are working on uh, like direct voltage transfer fusion, fusion Whoa. power. So like, that that kind of that kind of works with. Like the whole wireless you know, idea, the, yeah. Wireless charging, Wi- wireless. I think it would be transfer. wireless, but there'd be like a superheated plasma in between. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so not, it wouldn't be as easy as like I got a fuel, I got a f- fusion cell in the house. All my stuff, I don't have to plug it in. I just like there's this wave, this field. I just don't go in that one room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, because mostly what uh, they're looking at fusion. For is uh, it heats water or some other working medium that uh, then creates steam that drives turbines, just like we do with everything else. That's why mm-hmm. we burn coal to heat water to turn everything turbines. just to run the turbine. Fission works that way; it just heats water to run turbines. <laughs> so uh, yeah, they're looking at just using it to run turbines and heat water like we always do. But there's also uh, experimentation going on in creating a voltage off of it, a direct current, a pressure mm-hmm. of a. Uh, just well, that makes sense. So when we're talking about Dyson Sphere, then obviously we're not... Probably like, not heating water. Yeah, we're not heating water <laughs> to, to make... Uh, like all these satellites are just like using their little like fans in a, in a pool of water that's being heated up. 
uh, and being like, oh, they were spinning the energy, and there we go. <laughs> so it's actually so just total, total turbine yeah, energy. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually just a monkey on a bicycle who's just like, <laughs> we could have just done this with a bunch of monkeys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How many monkeys would it take to make a Dyson sphere? <laughs> okay, so so obviously they're they're coming up with a way of actually like truly harnessing the energy of that reaction. Yeah, turning it directly into electricity. So we need a conversion process yeah. of some sort. What would that look like? Uh, well, I, you know, I didn't read closely enough for it to well, remember. But if you look, if you look at like the the long, you put a picture in our heads of. <laughs> if you, but if you look at like like it's it would be as magical as, to me, like I find this like the fact that I got a new phone and that it charges on a pad without even plug it in magical. That's pretty magical. So to create uh, a voltage, electric voltage, you need to take a bunch of charged particles. Yes. And have them all traveling in the same direction. Yes. And that's what we do in wires with electricity. You just mm-hmm. get them all traveling. Yeah, it's easy. It's like you've created a line, go down the line. So you just need to take these these charged energetic particles created and have them travel in the same direction. Okay, so when somehow. So when my cell phone sits on a pad, the pad has a local field to it. And that field interacts with whatever is in my phone and converts that whatever that field energy is into electrical energy in the phone yeah right so the same thing goes if like if i have a, a laser that's sending energy or a microwave so something the energy is being sent along that beam and in essence the energy is that beam itself yeah right so that beam is going out and then something receives it and converts it back takes takes the energy it's receiving and converts it back into just regular electrical energy in the first place. So we're able to send it one way and then convert it back. Yeah, uh, right. I think I think we're fairly practiced in converting various forms of electromagnetic radiation into electricity. You know, you can take photons. You can have a like a fiber optic cable running photons and turn them into make an right. electric voltage. That's a great off example. Yeah, yeah, fiber optic cabling. Yeah, so. In essence, is that kind of what we would have to do if we were sitting around the sun with a Dyson sphere? Like there'd be some kind of receiving mechanism that takes whatever, would it be heat and electromagnetic field mm-hmm. and probably like everything that's yeah. coming off it and converts it to electricity? Yeah, uh, I don't know, some super technical process that uh, <laughs> converts into like magnetic energy and then into electrical energy. Like all of the above. Yeah. Right. Or maybe you'd have a different satellite for each part that it's collecting. I I don't know. Like one part could just be doing simple solar solar panels or some kind of solar collecting. Because obviously we collect solar energy already. So we know how to do that to some extent. But this is on a grander scale. We're, we're not just collecting those rays. We're collecting the, the radiation. We're collecting yeah. the the electromagnetic field we're collect- collecting yeah it seems everything is being it seems like the simplest dyson sphere would just be a bunch of solar collectors as we know them basically. as we know them yeah. today like a it's bunch a, of like, our, our rooftop solar just panels just a ton of solar panels in space yeah just uh yeah hit hitting uh those photo- photovoltaic photovoltaic cells mm-hmm. right the right energy that causes them to shoot off photons mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. convert um, those into electricity obviously we, we wouldn't go to that extent if we were only setting up our inefficient solar panels we'd want to 
we want to do more than that. Yeah, I mean, hopefully we've, we would have perfected the solar cell by that point. <laughs> okay, we got all of this. Uh, we built our space elevator. We built some mega structures. We've mined. Uh, uh, countless lives have been lost. Uh, we, we've, we've built a Dyson sphere. Unfortunately, we forgot to spend any money on research for solar panels. Twenty percent efficient. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're here. We're here. We did. Now, it. how do we get? Oh shit. Twenty <laughs> percent. This this in this in, in investment uh, will pay itself off in approximately five billion years. Yeah. <laughs> With the amount of energy we're getting back from what we've just done. By the time our sun is burnt up <laughs> or imploded onto itself. Will have broke even. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, hopefully we'd be at least up to like leaf efficiency, the, the solar leaf, collection efficiency uh, of a leaf. Leaf silver, <laughs> yeah. silver, silver uh, level leaf, leaf standards. Yeah. I'm making a joke out of out of lead standards. You know, lead standards. It's the environmental. Uh, it's like a both architectural and engineering design standards that uh, everyone wants applied to their new buildings that are being put up. Oh, we're a lead silver standard here, and it means that certain things recycle themselves, and you have a green roof. And so, I'd like can we can we? So, I would like a I would like a Leeds excellent or a Leeds platinum level uh, for this Dyson sphere. For sure, you need, yeah. you need at least platinum. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely platinum. Um, can we uh, can we take a beer? piss break and it's pee break time great and reheat time i'm getting cold <laughs> oh yeah Hey, Sean! <gasps> what are you drinking? Oh, uh, hey, Mike. I didn't see you there. That that was a steam whistle pilsner, Canada's premium pilsner. It's brewed with only four all-natural ingredients, spring water, malted barley, hops, and yeast, all GMO-free. It's delicious. Oh, yeah? Mind if I have one? Actually, that was my last one. Dang, that sucks. It does suck. It really does. Steam whistle beer. All right, we're back. Did everyone uh, talk uh, themselves? You spoke too early. You gotta wait for my hand signal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're back. Everyone pee okay? I peed okay. I peed great. I peed just okay. Jeff peed great. Yeah. <laughs> What's your peed standard? Uh, diamond. Diamond peed standard. <laughs> I, I'm that unsure if painful. that's better than platinum or worse, but. So did everyone uh, get themselves a new drink? I did. Of uh, delicious. Uh, what are these that we're drinking here, Jeff? Oh, so good. Uh, steam whistle. Steam whistle beer. Uh, I would. I would say it's Canada's premium pilsner. Oh. For sure. Yeah, it's good. I did everyone agree. have a sip. Cheers. <sighs> Let's have another sip after that. Mm. Jeff, you didn't take another sip. Oh, sorry, I'm distracted. Party foul! Everybody drink. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Social balls. Okay, <clears throat> so we got a Dyson sphere. It's got lots of energy coming. 
we uh, what do we use this for? We use it. Kind of the idea is that again, our planet doesn't have enough energy itself, or we can't make enough energy to fuel our grandiose plans. Yeah. The the or just our existence. Our existence, <laughs> yeah. like making uh, able to survive because we've destroyed so much. Well, yeah. one of the most pressing needs for energy, I think, and I don't hear it talked about that much, but I think it's so it's so urgent actually mm-hmm. is uh the energy needed for desalina- desalinating water right oh okay you know, we did you hear that there's a new uh s- they, they were talking about a new system you know explain explain why yeah it's so important okay. but i i just I, you made me excited because i, I bet just you read a i bet you he's gonna get to it maybe no, uh no I, I don't have any specific recent examples I heard. okay uh just uh desal- we're running out of fresh water obviously we're, you know, there's too many people now. Yeah. We're drinking too much water. We're using... And we're also polluting so much of our water. Actually, yeah. more water than we even drink. We're heating it up, making energy from it, mm-hmm. running turbines. Um, and so, obviously, the natural place to go for more water is the ocean. Yeah, there's so much but water there. Obviously, it's it's salty. Mm-hmm. And so, to de- desalt it, uh, you have to run it through uh, reverse osmosis filters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, that takes energy. It's a energy intensive process it's not it's running against the uh it's running against the uh what do you call it the concentration gradient yeah something uh anyway it takes energy to do uh and we just don't have the energy to spare to do large scale desalin desalinization and and the uh, uh, other thing obviously with water when you're dealing with it you have to do it for cheap Yeah, yeah water is something that we need so much uh, it's such a like without water we're we're hooped so and we also need the ocean's water yeah so we're not doing like uh i know they, they've experimented we can't do just do a gigantic uh still where you where, <laughs> no. where, where, where you have a solar still where yeah water evaporates out of the you know seawater evaporates and then you collect the moisture i was i yeah. was it's just not efficient i was just i just saw online the other day and i can't i was just trying to find it i couldn't i couldn't find the uh, actual term uh or the or i couldn't find the article but it's uh it's just recently somebody performed an experiment that had found quite an efficient way to desalinize water with these micro bubbles uh and it's it it's actually like a proper like efficient method like the output is and the energy are in a in a good are state. Okay. Well, that yeah. would be awesome. <laughs> it's an okay yeah. ratio. Yeah, it's an okay yeah. ratio. So, Acceptable. Yeah. Uh, so obviously they were looking at developing that further. But I I, I wish I could find the the article. That's that's super interesting. Yeah, we, I mean we either need a super efficient way of doing it or we just need lots of power mm-hmm. so that it's cheap. And so lots of power obviously we can't rely on fossil fuels no obviously they're they're even beside the fact that they're terrible for the environment to even be burning and using and it's funny that we only use them to get electricity to heat water mm-hmm. right <laughs> that's like the only reason we use fossil fuel other than the classic like motor engine in our car to get those things moving we use fossil fuels to create electricity by heating the water yeah, and doing one of the the most old-fashioned ways of creating energy, the original way of making energy, which is just to turn a turbine really fast. Some way <laughs> <Yeah>. of of <laughs> yeah. doing. It. We had come up with, well, let's boil water. So how many ways can we boil water? We can burn wood. Mm. Doesn't create enough heat. Can't get enough out of it. Coal. Perfect.
perfect. That's totally bearable. Dig a deep hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you dig a deep hole and get uh, geothermal reactions, yeah. all these kinds of things. So if, if we're needing that kind of energy to like get clean water, then you're saying a fusion reaction would be great or a really giant supply of energy so that we're not even worried about. Yeah, just so that energy is cheap. Mm-hmm. Right. You need We need a, a glut of energy to make it cheap to mm-hmm. desalinize water. Uh, Mike? What? I actually borchellied that article. Oh, you found it? Yeah, it's MIT uses electrical shockwaves. Uh, no, I don't think so. Oh, okay, never mind then. But MIT is using some electrical shockwaves. Yeah, to actually desalinate water in a filterless process. That's cool. Uh, now yeah. is that... Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Is that... Um, how do you make those electrical shockwaves? Sounds like you need a lot of energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't Porcelli that far. I was is, just asking. Is if the that's efficiency, what it was. <laughs> you know, is how's the ratio? Um, so we've talked a lot about these grandiose uh, future technologies, things that are very. Well, I mean, we're not going. We're okay. We're not going to be making a Dyson sphere anytime soon. No, but this, at the, the same space time, elevator. Space elevator is well apparently thirty eight years away. Yeah, maybe okay. this this century, maybe that'd yeah. be that'd be great. Actually, uh, update thirty four years away because <laughs> that was made in two thousand twelve. Okay, so we get to space, then we can like get to those asteroids that uh, lots of companies are already like like building the technology and looking to hire other companies in order to be able to get to these asteroids to mine. Right, mining is a big thing, like materials just to. Even like when you're looking at our rare earth materials that we have here that uh, right now are located in small quantities in China. Like they have the, the biggest supply of earth's rare materials, like rare minerals that we use every day for our phones, computers, chips. Any of our strong magnets. Yeah, yeah, batteries, all this stuff. Right. So to get out there, yeah, we, we, need, we need some way to figure it out. Dyson Sphere, you know what? Dyson Sphere doesn't seem so far off anymore, does it? <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> like, it, it, are we after, are, after are we just this conver- after Are we this? just screwed, or is the no. ele- or is the elevator going to just solve it all? I think the yeah. elevator is the key here. That's what it sounds like. I think after this conversation, uh, the Dyson Sphere seems much more feasible because clearly mm-hmm. we only have probably wouldn't be as big of an object as that thing that people are thinking in space. It wouldn't be. Uh, an object or a series of objects that was so big that it blocks out half of the dimness no. of, of our sun. That mystery, to to uh, clear the air on that, before we move on, SETI did point their uh, big telescopes at it uh, to listen for the radio frequencies, and they listened to various channels, and they heard nothing. They listened to a lot of different frequencies yeah they're looking yeah looking for some kind of radio frequency yeah. uh, response that which would, you would think would come from a uh, that would be not nature made exactly yeah um and they didn't find anything so they've concluded uh sort of that it, it's not uh extraterrestrial in origin and that it must be some natural thing but that's still you know that's crazy i mean that's another episode i mean uh <laughs> A civilization advanced enough to create a uh, you would an think object they weren't half using the radio. size of a star. Well, I don't know. They might be. They might not be using their own star. 
Right. It might not be too much of a stretch for them to just go use the neighboring stars. They don't have to worry they don't about. Want to have to use so they're literally. Star. So yeah, yeah. Exactly. they don't have to worry about fucking with their own star. Right? So so hi- hypothetically, like they have this machine out there transmitting energy, but it's not it's not sending any signals out into the space. So why would they? They could be another million light years away. Like they could be a, a long ways away from that one well, million light years, but crazy but. yeah i'm not sure what kind of electromagnetic radiation traffic a, a, a dyson sphere creates exactly but, uh, yeah and especially if that the idea of a dyson sphere is to gather and then send to coordinates right right like we're so taking it wouldn't be energy just going out and they beam it to themselves they don't want it beaming all over the place <laughs> yeah. it's not yeah. like yeah there might not be a lot of radio chatter either being like i mean it's just like it goes in and it points back to them. So it's I'm like super curious about the the science behind that and why that's the conclusion that they come to. I don't understand how they come to those conclusions based on that. It seems like a very narrow depth of field of search. Like really, I don't know. So I don't know. But they pointed. We're not it, scientists. I, th- I think here, they though. pointed it in very no, serious. No scientists so. here. I think. Um, well, before I know where you're moving on to. Yeah, I had one last question for Jeff. Sure. Uh, and this was referring to the fusion. Yeah. Okay. So, going with fusion, and then the theory of fusion cells that we hear about in sci-fi all the time. Ah, I put my fusion cell in there. So you've kind of basically explained to us that fusion cell, like how do you create that kind of heat that you need for fusion in a small object? Yeah, you need you need enough heat to deion to deionize the the gases. Or whatever. Right. Okay. So then, then my response to that is something else I've seen in sci-fi, which is cold fusion, <laughs> which I assume cold fusion means that it's fusion reaction without uh, all that heat, like done at a, a not superheated level. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea how that could possibly work. I, I would I would classify that as an impossibility. Uh, Why? I mean, you need energy because i i've heard about it on i think i watched fringe and they had they, someone came up with cold fusion technology <laughs> you know the very scientifically sound yes and i think fringe. i think iron man's arc technology is technically cold fusion isn't it i don't know or it's contained hot fusion uh-huh. um, but uh you need energy to get make these nuclei approach each other you need energy to overcome that electrostatic force like a lot of energy and i don't know how you're gonna get that without heat (laughs) okay what about what about uh uh energy from weight there's energy in in um the weight of an object being pulled by gravity (laughs) like having something fall really fast yeah uh well that generates heat as well that's the thing it's hard to you can't Ah, deal in this uh volume of energy without so, so a if bunch I of put, thermal energy as well because so basically you're talking about pressure in order to get those those nuclei or whatever like pounded yeah, together yeah, to push fuse, them together there needs to be a lot of pressure which is usually created by the heat or ne- the, there either needs to be a lot of pressure or a lot of heat or and both, the heat creates and pressure pre- well pressure creates heat <laughs> pressure creates heat yeah okay so now so basically what you're saying is that i couldn't just have like a tank of gas that's super pressurized that would cause like it just put so much of that uh, hydrogen gas into a tank 
push it in, push it in until all of a sudden the hydrogen is like, oh, we have no place to move. Let's become helium. <laughs> well, no, no, no. That's that's possible. It's possible, but it would uh, not without creating heat. Yeah, it would just be hot. It'd be so right, hot because right. it's so pressured. Right. Um, right. The, the, I think there was a design that people are looking at that uses a piston to drive the reaction. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if it's working or not, but so <laughs> I'm sure still, we probably would have. There's heard. still a lot of energy put into just getting that energy to start. Yeah. Getting that okay, huh. the sustainable reaction. Yeah, you're just never going to get it without a bunch of thermal energy being produced or doing like the reaction itself. So as of mm-hmm. right now, it's less likely than a Dyson sphere. <laughs> I would say so. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay, so <laughs> how could okay, how could a cold fusion thing work? How how could we get past this? How could we make a fusion cell sized object? Like the like something I, I the size I could run my car at least. So <laughs> get in, get in get in some weird theoretical areas here. So you I don't know. You could uh, perhaps have it uh, heat produced in another dimension. Ah, here we go. You know, know, the energy is, the heat's being produced in the sixth dimension or something, and it's not affecting our third dimension, but we're somehow channeling the energy through into our dimension. So the energy's there, but it doesn't affect the three dimensions we're in. Yeah, I don't know. Or the four dimensions we're in. Goodness. (laughs) What implications that could have that we wouldn't even know? Yeah, I don't know. That's some some advanced shit who right knows there. if that's it could be happening all it all burns up a bunch of people ten thousand years from now <laughs> what, what if it's happening all the time around us and we just need to harness it <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know <laughs> what if global warming is just us doing that to ourselves but in another dimension i think we already know what global warming yeah i think is. we got that figured out oh, sorry <laughs> it would suck if there was also that though <laughs> yeah oh. there, yeah that's something we definitely we cut all about. emissions we do it <laughs> it's like we're still warming up yeah so i, I, so I think what's Six more likely dimensional bleed through <laughs> shit fuck so i think a much more likely uh approach would be just advanced containment mm-hmm. and uh somehow getting that reaction to so some really amazing materials that uh, can handle uh, holding a, a fusion reaction. Yeah, we're back to materials again. Yeah, it's all about the materials. Shit. <laughs> well, we can't get those materials and get to it till we get to an asteroid and mine that fancy motherfucker. And we're not gonna do that mm. until we get a fucking space elevator. <laughs> and we're not gonna do that until we get the material to make that fucking rope. It's a goddamn rope that <laughs> hey, is standing in the way of everything. I, I never mentioned this before. One of the things that was theorized in the fifties about it because there was no material is that they talked about uh, doing like a um, a tapered. Uh, tether so it would start out really big up near the orbital structure and then taper to like ultra ultra small at the bottom so that that force of uh, the tensile strength was able to hold itself through that the fo- so the- has anybody put all of these ideas together yet like is, is well, this just something no people what have it comes been- <laughs> down to now it's like it, the tapering like what we're now looking at is like it, actually it, it looks like a ribbon Right, and it's it's literally paper thin. Yeah, and the reason they've gone with a, a, a ribbon type structure, it's made of the nanotubes, of whether it be graphene or I think there's uh, there's also diamond nanotubes and there's boron nitride nanotubes that they're all experimenting with, and it's paper thin and it'd be like a ribbon structure. That was the reason they want to use a ribbon structure is because uh, in case there's airborne things that could hit the ribbon. Right. Less likely, like, like for meteors and me- uh, to, you know, harm the the object. Like, so it's like, ugh, hit our string, we're gone. Yeah. It's like, yeah, and, I mean, it's, and it's easier for a device to crawl up a ribbon as well. 
Yeah, I mean, that's got to be a major obstacle to any a space elevator. Is we, we've got a lot of junk up there. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally, totally, yeah. At whatever speed we discovered was the speed. Maybe we need to figure out a way to clean that up. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure out what orbital speed is in maybe in the intro. We'll do an addendum. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I don't know why I didn't think to come up with that number. 42,000 just keeps coming into mind. I feel like that's something. What, what Nick said was uh, 1,600 kilometers an hour or something? Well, that's just the rotation uh, of the Earth. 1,670. Oh, yeah, that's speed rotation, rotation, rotation of the Earth. Yeah. So, so once you get that far out, though, I mean, the speed increases a right. lot. Yeah. yeah. Orbital speed. What? Who knows? I guess, I okay. guess that changes we'll fi- at we'll different find, We'll find it in the intro. So all cool stuff. Yeah. Possibly stuff that uh, we need to even survive this Earth. <laughs> yeah. Technology that um, we know we can do. We just need to figure out how to do either the make the steps to get there or to make what we do now way more efficient. Yeah. So what are some other cool things that uh, we have going? Well, technology wise, I think we're at a really we're at a pretty neat time. There's a lot of really cool stuff that was. I think when we were growing up, seemed like magic and seemed. I mean, our iPhones seemed like magic when we were growing up. We all wanted TV on our watches and things like that. Um, But there's a lot of stuff coming out, like, just, like, right now that I I think even two months ago I thought was theoretical tech. (laughs) Um, Like what? Well, there's a a couple of things. So let me start with... uh, Because I'm I'm still amazed by the magic of my wireless charging phone. Absolutely. So I have have, um, three things here that are are pretty cool. Start off with a little one. This one's kind of neat. It's called the... Uh, Skio, the S, S C I O. Skio, okay. Skio, it's it's all capitals. It's like an abbreviated term. Uh, an anagram, and, if you will. And, yeah, <laughs> an yeah, yeah. An acronym. Or, and, and, yeah. Acronym. acronym. One of those. Eight. <laughs> Words. Abbreviation. Acronym. Uh, it's a hyperbole, anagram. I think. <laughs> it's a, a portmon. No. So this <laughs> is a this is essentially a a pocket uh, home owner. Universe? Like, a pocket universe? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whoa. Uh, Holy shit. A pocket uh, spectrometer. Okay. So it is the universe. It is everything in the universe. It's a spectro- spectrometer. What's so a spectrometer, Michael? So you can, uh, if you want to know the alcohol content of the beer you're drinking here, uh, or how many grams of sugar are in an apple, or anything like that, it tells you, it, it, it's, it's a it? read on the molecular wow. structure of, your, of whatever is in front of it. And it's just a little, it's just so a tiny little device. made of hydrogen and oxygen. Yeah. And it's just a tiny little device and tells you everything. And then someone's like, obviously, it's water, idiot. Yeah. So these will <laughs> be available soon enough. It's just something, it's the world's first pocket spectrometer lets you measure the molecular makeup of nearly anything. Wow. Uh, so that's pretty cool on those. That's I, good for like field measurements. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, yeah, that's. Scientists will love that for research and stuff. That's a really neat little device. That's a handy. Yeah. Would it have like a. A layman's readout like I, I've, I've used spectrometers before in, in like a chem lab and you have to like make a calibration curve right. and do calculations um you know i don't i don't know yeah basically like it does all that for you and then it says like this is poop oh <laughs> here 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 so you're the, looking at poop the data does <laughs> it transfers to your cell phone and it shows you in five seconds it tells oh. you what it is cool yeah, so it does. I mean, you'd think. That's, I mean, we wouldn't need to do those curves now. We have fucking computers that can do that mm-hmm. pretty quickly. So it shows up on your cell phone. Here's another uh, really. I mean, this is some Star Trek tech. Uh, also using our smartphones. Uh, you know what a tricorder is? Mm-hmm. 
uh, from wave, Star Trek. From yes. Star Trek, you could wave medical it over. tool or analyzing device. Yeah, yeah, you could wave it over anybody and know exactly what was wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Well, we essentially have uh, a very similar technology coming out. Um, it's called um, Vitality. Vitality. Vit Vitality. <laughs> yeah, I'm just. I'm just. As the French would say. Vitality. Yeah. Vitality. So it's a uh, Vitality. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. it's a. Uh, it's essentially just a bunch of. Um, uh, it, it's a little charger mount that you plug your phone in, and you have the app that goes with it. And then it's uh, these pads that you would drape over your neck and on your shoulder and you put on your arms, and I probably want a, a chest pad as well. Um, and it essentially just does a, a full-on scan, and it monitors like electro- electrical activity, the heart. Uh, I believe it takes... Um, um, it, it pricks the finger as well, so it measures your... Like it takes a little blood sample and it does a little blood analysis and everything. So it's not quite the sweep over, but it's still pretty fucking awesome that it can do this massive analysis. On a home-based level. Yeah, so yeah. the, the Vitaliti. Vitaliti. I think it's Italian. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Vitaliti. Yeah. it's It look it looks awesome. It's a really, really cool... So tricorders, yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of companies that... And a lot of... Actually, a lot of it comes from even design. It's not even necessarily the technology. It's designers who are trying to come up with these things using other technology we have to make, like, the tricorder. And it's, uh, it is, like, the gold. Yeah. Like, I mean, we have already so many technologies on Star Trek now that came out way faster than uh, whatever that guy who wrote Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) Gene Gene Roddenberry. Oh, yeah, yeah, Gene. (laughs) Old Gene. Old Gene. Um, so that, that, so like a tricorder, like, well, that, that's like one that I, I, I've read a few articles too. That's like, that could be like, there's so many different, like, like portable sensors that if you just put them into like a Swiss army knife of a cell phone or something that could be, that does the the computer analyzing for you. So if you have your pads taking the readings, this really does, it has the algorithms, it has the data to redraw from, it has the databases to draw from to make a diagnosis of some kind. So, um, I mean, it's great for the home hypochondriac, hypochondriac. like it's or like the worst. The, yeah, it's, the, it's either the best or the I worst. have a WebMD app, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I put in all my symptoms, and I swear to God, it's I'm pancreatic cancer every time. Yeah. Yeah. Every, yeah. every time I put this thing on, it says I'm going to die tomorrow. <laughs> like, and I'm still here. <laughs> I wake up every day thinking it's my last day. And I plug myself in. I every cry day. every time I kiss Natalie goodbye <laughs> yeah. when I go to work. <laughs> so um, speaking of, uh, this really goes to what we were talking about. This is another uh, tech that's just come out. And it uh, goes to what we were talking about with... Um, jesse in terms of the and more star trek tech kind of like a holodeck these are goggles and it's called the magic leap so it's a pair of goggles that are for virtual gaming and what it does is it takes virtual uh 3d images and puts them into your real world so like let's say oh the like an augmented reality exactly yeah we talked we were talking about this a little bit i think you and i had discussed it a little bit yeah yeah so this i'm really excited about this it's a 
Magic Leap is a it's a U.S. startup company. So it's not like Oculus Rift where you're just submerged into a pre-made. No, no, it's uh, it's better environment. It's better in that um, uh, it's 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 more immersive. It's better than it's better than just an image being projected onto glass in front of you, because what this is doing is actually projecting light onto your retina, so that your brain is perceiving it as if it's really there. So you are you can move around the object. It has all the depth that any object would. So uh, and what what they're going to be capable of doing, what their their demos are actually showing they're doing, you can t- you you can't actually feel anything in front of you, but you could touch and interact. You could press a button or or hold the sun in your hand in a solar model of the solar system in front of you. you know, I like, feel like I feel like I I saw a demo or a trailer or something for this. Thing. There there is, and I, I think they're we should in, like, they're in an office it. space. Yeah, yeah, I think we yeah is this well, the one where they're in an office space? Yes, and the guy's like playing almost a game in his office. Exactly. Exactly. So I think we should link to that in the show notes for yeah. everyone at home to take a look at. It. It's really neat. That got me really excited when I saw. It. I, I'm absolutely. Uh, <sighs> I'm over so the moon about this. So the kind office of is real. He's I love sitting this kind in, of thing. in yeah, a real absolutely. office. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, a wall explodes beside him, and, and a tank drives in, and a, drives and a bunch of aliens start <laughs> falling through the ceiling, and he's <laughs> having to fire at everybody and, and but shoot. And he, he but goes, he's actually still in his office. Clearly, he can. <laughs> clearly, he uh, the 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 glasses and the games would come with physical accessories. So he goes to like a. His desk and there's a, a an assortment of different ray guns, mm-hmm. physical like little toy ray guns that he picks up. He grabs one and that one the game recognizes which one he picked up. Uh, the the goggles recognize it and they incorporate that gun's powers and then it can shoot whatever and he has Ugh. his ammo and all these things. Sounds like it, awesome. It is so uh, that is like my dream. That is my dream video game system. Of any kind, it's a great learning tool. It's a ama- it's fascinating. It'd be great for training it's, ops and it's great for just um, yeah. well, it's just great for like imagine showing your kids the solar system in a three D model that's like that. Uh, imagine uh, just teaching anybody anything with that. I mean, it's so dynamic. It's amazing. That's uh, I've always dreamed of uh, having virtual reality in school or something. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Ever since I saw that Simpsons episode where mm-hmm. Lisa's. Like when they had need the monorail episode, right? Monorail. <laughs> Is that it? I don't know. Is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, 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 what, what happens? Uh, what happens in it? The town gets a bunch of money and uh, they have to decide well, I know how to the, spend it. And Lisa wants. And she wants a reality in the school. In the school. Yeah. Instead of the monorail, because yeah, right. I, so I want that monorail. So <laughs> monorail. Monorail. <laughs> monorail. Uh, so I think that um we're really on the brink of some awesome stuff i mean we're clearly i mean it's there we're living in a good time if we if, if we can uh uh figure out a way to make our energy resources last we're gonna be sitting pretty in a pretty fun little world pretty pretty quick well this goes back to uh the jesse buyer episode which yeah absolutely. at home if you haven't listened to the jesse buyer episode you it's, should listen to because we're referencing it it's a good precursor to this one yeah it's a we, great we get into a lot of this stuff um basically the idea that uh... Sean, <laughs> Sean, just stop moving. <laughs> What's the idea? <laughs> I totally forgot where, where I was going with that. That's totally okay. That happens. Is this what's supposed to happen? No, <laughs> no, no. This no, we I, edit. This I swear, this doesn't happen. <laughs> I don't think we're editing, editing this one out. <laughs> no, this happens all the time. We just usually edit it out. <laughs> <clears throat> no, because we were talking about uh, technology 
to make things better. What were we talking about? We were talking with Jesse Byer. We Byer. were talking about we were talking about um, our perfect idea idea of the future in, yeah. in our extension. And in the first half, we were talking about um, teaching for the future. Teaching for the future. Yes, this def- all definitely applies. Teaching for the end of the world was what we were talking about. So anyways. I forgot. I had a good point to make. And that's where I got <laughs> stuck because I was like, when I went back to explain the Jesse part, I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> I'm really, my monorail of your, thought. Your monorail of thought. <laughs> I wish it was a multi-tracked uh, system because then I could have just switched <laughs> tracks. Um, well, I, yeah. I think this has been a fun episode. I think I think uh, United, we're uh, we're a intellectual force to be reckoned with when we have our <laughs> fact checker over here. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, we might when we get a little more funding have you on to be someone who vets us in the middle of our uh, either in the, right in the middle or afterwards, so we know whether we just have to scrap an episode because everything that we said was horseshit or you could be like so what are you guys going to talk about because like right now we're like we're going to talk about this this and this (laughs) you're like that's all wrong yeah because like right now we're just pumping them out (laughs) right or wrong we believed it in that moment yeah we will spread the idiocracy i mean i'm sure i've uh made a number of errors already just yeah you see how easy it is (laughs) yeah hey once you're once you're in front of the mic it's not uh not not so easy, is it? I, uh, you know, I didn't have that much time to prepare. It's been a busy week. Yeah, in Baltimore. Yeah, hey, <laughs> that's fine. You were, yeah, you only, you were only at an Ivy across the street from an Ivy League school, uh, the Johns Hopkins. You didn't, you had literally no access to uh, a bunch of information. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. John Hopkins doesn't really know a lot about science. Oh, <laughs> sure, yeah, no, nothing. What do they know? They, uh, yeah. <laughs> their engineering program is shit yeah. <laughs> okay well awesome this was great very Thank- good thanks jeff thanks jeff yeah. hallelujah hallelujah Okay. And a one, and a two, and a one, two, three. Hallelujah. Ha, hallelujah. Hallelujah. You guys want to listen to it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll start.